Well, hello back, everybody. My name is Lena Ebujamra. We are with the Living with Our Hope podcast. And as usual, it is so much fun to be back with you this week. Uh, we have been having a great time with these conversations about hope. And I've gotten so many emails from people uh, week after week just telling me how much this is blessing their life. I know you guys have been taking advantage of the free resources at my app, Living with Power app, and at the website. But today you are, if you thought what we've done so far was fun, you're going to love today. And I, I know I say this a lot, but Christopher Lash is the male version of Lena. I have joked about this for a long time. And I think the truth in this world, it is this. Uh, Chris is really as high energy as I am. Don't hang up the podcast. Really, <laughs> enjoy it. But he really is uh, a guy that I truly respect. He is the guy who invited me to speak at Judson University and has uh, developed a relationship with the university through uh, by being introduced to it through uh, Chris. He has a, an undergrad degree in biblical languages from Moody Bible Institute, a master's from Wheaton in systematic theology that he graduated from a year ago. And what is exciting about his life is that he leads the students at uh, Judson in their spiritual formation. He's the Dean of Chapel Ministries. And um, if anybody knows anything about college students and millennials and disease, it is Chris Lash. So he has given a lot of thought to our conversation coming up. I can't wait to hear his thoughts. Chris, so awesome to have you on today. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, Lena. This is fun. I didn't mention one big thing. Man, something big is happening in your life next week. Yeah, whoo, it's big. On uh, uh, May 26, my fiance and I are getting married and um, we are in the midst of all the wedding planning and all that good stuff now. So it's all the logistics, all the Excel spreadsheets and all that good stuff. Right. I mean, it is a big deal because like when you and I met, I mean, of course, I'm still single. I'm a lot older than you, but it was sort of the joke. Like you were single. We were like, is he ever going to get married? We have a hard time about it. And there was like nobody in sight, right? I mean, you weren't really dating anybody and right. boom, you met someone and she's amazing. Yeah, um, she's, she's pretty fantastic. I. I, I freaking love her, which is good because we're getting married. So that's always a good place to be in. And the engagement season has still been good. I know everybody says it's the worst season. So I'm excited to see, you know, marriage when it probably gets yeah. better and all that good stuff. So who is more of like in charge of the wedding, you or her? It depends on what category. Like I, I finished, uh, I booked the honeymoon. So like all decor and um, that kind of stuff, Sari runs all those things. I have been in charge of like logistics. So I'm the one who's like putting in things in the Excel spreadsheet, making the timeline and all that good stuff. So well, it's very complimentary. When you texted me, you were like, I, I have an outline for our conversation today. You're very much like organized in your thinking, as I actually tend to be. And I admire that so much. I love that. But I bet you could like put together a document for people on wedding and prep and whatnot. <laughs> Seriously, I've had people from Judson who have gotten engaged who are like, oh my gosh, I've seen some of the posts that you've put on Instagram and uh, what what's this season have? And I go, you know what? I can send you all of my information. I have like an exhaustive list of all the vendors and uh, wedding locations in the Chicagoland area. So you can take oh, that one with it. Chris, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So uh, maybe in like in, in the next century, will it still be applicable? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, having said that, um, I, I'm excited about our conversation because we're going to talk about the next generation. Yeah. And you're not that old yourself, but but still you are a little older than the 18 to 25s. And I really I think the timing of this podcast is crucial because 
people graduating from high school, from colleges, um, even younger grades, but I really want to focus on that population. So if you're usually listening right now and you're like, man, I've been enjoying them, but maybe you have kids or grandkids and you think this is really the type of episode you want them to listen to. So, so make sure you mark this out um, because we're going to talk about the challenges that the next generation is facing as it pertains to their faith, the church, and to life in general. How do you figure out what you're supposed to do with your life? And yeah. Chris, you've walked those things yourself, but um, why don't we start sort of before we get into the details of that, um, of, of your thoughts on that, tell us a bit about your story. What, what, where did you come from? Yeah, I so so w- one of the things this does give me unique perspective. So my role at Judson, um, I've seen I've been there six ish years. So I've seen twelve classes of students graduate because they do graduation in December and in May. And so I, I love that you're doing a podcast on this, and I love that I get to be a part of it because um, I see students, man, that that graduate and get really angry. They get really depressed. They um, aren't sure what to do. And there's a loss of a lot of significance and a lot of significant things, which we'll get into in a little bit. So I love that we're able to connect. So what does hope after college mean? Um, and so I've kind of phrased some of my comments as like advice from a college pastor, people who love millennials and Gen Z deeply um, and mm-hmm. want to see them thrive and flourish, not only in their faith, but also in their vocation. Because I think those things are, are married uh, uh, pretty intimately. And so, um, yeah, I'm really excited because I remember when I graduated um, a, a number of years ago for my undergraduate program, I, I moved back home uh, and I started bartending. And I remember, yeah, so it's, it's a... It's, what time was it? When was it? It was about 2008. So about 2008, I, no, that was when I graduated high school, 2012. <laughs> and you went from Chicago to where? Where did you move to? I moved back home. Um, so in the suburbs of Chicago, I grew up in the suburbs. So in Batavia, Illinois is where my parents live. And so I remember all of my friends getting like youth pastor gigs, associate pastor gigs, whatever, outside of college. And I just was not sure what I wanted to do at all. And so- and you thought- and you thought, Chris, uh, biblical languages, hmm, how can I apply it? Oh, I know, I'll bartend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, it was a really funny, it was a really funny interview. When I interviewed for this bartending position, um, it was, I wanted to do a martini bar because I wanted to learn how to make drinks and all that good stuff. And um, the bar manager, who she didn't like me very much, in fact, it was a pretty abusive relationship, but she didn't like me very much. And um, she was like, biblical language, what in the world is that? Like, how, how in the, why are you here? And I was like, you know what? You're asking some great questions that other people have asked me before, but I don't have a good answer. So, <laughs> so how I long feel, did you doing that gig? Yeah, so I, I feel that tension. Um, but what was really, what was really interesting for me was I was watching friends graduate, and like it felt like they were moving on in their life, and it felt like I was stagnant. And so I remember for those first several months, especially, what I never wanted to do was move home. Not because of anything bad with my parents or anything like that, because they were incredibly kind and supportive. But I felt like I was failing. I felt like I had a significant loss of purpose. I had a loss of my community. And I was just grieving. I didn't know, I didn't have the language then to figure out what to do with that or even to name it. And so I moved home and uh, I remember spiraling into a a pretty seasonal depression, like a temporary depression, Mm -hmm. um, where uh, I just didn't know what was next. I had no idea what was next. I had no idea what the Lord was doing. I remember I I was denied it from a graduate program because it was really closely connected with something. And so, they, they were like, hey, I don't think this is the best thing for you. So it felt like some of the avenues that I was taking after college weren't working out. So I felt like stagnant and aimless. 
And so that's why this conversation is, I, I have a lot of passion around this conversation because um, I remember how I felt and I remember how, um, how lonely it felt and uh, how distant the Lord felt in that season. And seeing students graduate, um, I, I'm watching a lot of the same patterns that I repeated and some of the things that they're doing. Um, and so one of the one of the main things that I have like learned from walking with college students and then looking back over my story and through my own counseling that I've done, some of the own work that I've done in my life is is like the very first thing after college uh, is to grieve what you've lost, mm. um, because you have an incredible. You you have like four main things that you have in college um, that uh, influence your sense of identity, influence your sense of accomplishment. You have an incredible community that surrounds you. So if you live on campus or even if you're a commuter, you have some kind of a community, whether those people in your major, in your dorm, in your room, what have you. You have friends that are like right next door. And all of a sudden, when you graduate, it's like the bottom falls out and you don't have any, like, where are your friends? They often all go move off to other places. Sometimes they move home. Sometimes they get married. And it seems like they're on their next exciting journey. And where's your community at? Like, what happens to you? And then you also feel a loss of support. Um, College, at least the university, and the way that we think about students is we want to design systems and processes to support students. So everything from the registrar to our counseling and wellness center to chapel to what what have you is, is all designed with the student in mind. And so it's removing as many barriers as possible for a student to get help, to get advice, to get mentorship and, and resources and anything like that. But when you graduate, those systems kind of evaporate. Um, and sometimes colleges don't do a good job preparing students for what happens after the very system is gone. Um, so they just don't have the support base. And then they lose a sense of purpose, which I think is one of the biggest ones. They lose their sense of purpose. So with with students, they always know what's next. Um, you have your class schedule. You plan right. it out. You might have some anxiety over the summer, like internship and stuff like that. But as far as like returning back in the fall, you you know, okay, nope, come August, I'm returning back in the fall. I'm going to get a new set of syllabi and I'm going to move forward because your expectations also change. So the last thing that I think you need to grieve what you've lost is the sense of expectations um, because you have a clear syllabus. You have a clear rubric for grading. You have an understanding of what is success and what is failure, or what is success and what is setback. And so you lose these things when you graduate college. You lose your community, your support, your purpose, and your expectations. Um, and, and that can feel um, devastating. That can feel devastating mm-hmm. to a lot of people because you took all of the things that help you identify, help you like form your identity and help you figure out what's next for you. And it's just, it, it feels like it's gone for a lot of people. What what percentage of college kids do you estimate graduate and really have no idea what they're doing next now in 2019? Oh, I... I, I think I, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but I, I think you have a greater percentage of students who do not know rather than those students who do know. Yeah, because very few are going on to like graduate school, right? So the majority are like hitting the job scene and they might find out they don't even like what they've studied. So now you sort of have a crisis on your hands. Right. They, they, they go through like this crisis of identity, crisis of personhood, crisis of what did I just do for four years? So a lot of even what I do with college students is try to reframe how to think about their college experience. Um, because a lot of times we think about college and university time as like, we think about it more like a trade school where we do it, we, we pay money and what we receive at the end is a diploma and then permission for a job. 
And I think that's fine. That's good. That's all that good stuff. Um, but sometimes the college degree doesn't translate into an immediate job necessarily. Like, so for example, mine was biblical languages. Yeah. And so that didn't necessarily translate. Like I wasn't going to go to Wycliffe and translate the Bible. I, I wasn't that good at Greek. Um, and so um, a lot of times what I do with college students is going, hey, what, what college gave you was this ability to think really well. And so a lot of times what you can do is translate some of that learning how to think well, learning how to like learning a, a moral and ethical framework, learning um, how the Lord met you in this time, this time of like intense study. Um, then we, we reformat, we repackage what college was so that when we don't immediately have a job, we can go like, okay, I can take these soft skills or these hard skills that I have. And now I can translate this into some kind of a vocation or a career and give yourself time to be able to do that. Well, and how do you counsel a student who's like the whole issue of calling, like people talk about calling all the time in this yeah. age group and furthermore, but like, like it must be a little, I mean, I, and I, I would say like, it must be devastating to wake up for after college and go, I don't know what God has called me to. Like even the Christian, there's even more pressure as a Christian to be like, well, I should know what my spiritual gifts are and what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. And this whole like, you know, Piper, don't waste your life. And like every day is a ticking clock going, like you're losing time influencing people for the gospel. You know, yeah. how do you find your calling? How do you help them if they're now graduating and they still don't have a clue what God wants them to do? Yeah, I... I think that's so that's so key and that's such a, a, a poignant question for this time. Um, and, and I think uh, a couple of the things that, that I would say is um, oftentimes reading is just really good, like reading on the nature of vocation, the nature of calling, um, rather than what is it what is God's will for this next question, um, for this next step, for this next stage? Oftentimes it's it's better phrased like, hey, what do I feel passionate about right now? And what do I feel called to right now in this moment? So like one of the points that I know that I want to hit in our time is is walking in faithfulness. Like what does that mean to walk in faithfulness rather than having to have the next thing nailed down? And, and a couple things, even in my research for doing this and some of the things I've, I've connected to, um, Bethany Jenkins, she did a... Um, she did a, a, a breakout session at, I think it was TGC, the, the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference. And you can mm-hmm. find it if you Google uh, advice better than following your passion. Um, mm-hmm. She has a fantastic 30-minute um, uh, uh, speech message, whatever, uh, about what does it mean to follow your passion and why is that an unhelpful framework, putting passion first above everything? And what does it mean for us to move in faithfulness? Uh, and so she contrasts doing passion first versus having a disciple's mindset. So she says that there are a number of faulty reasons for putting your passion first, um, but it's not irrelevant. It just factors in, but we don't have to do our immediate most passionate thing in the next step but we can learn skills and we can grow in our vocational faithfulness and grow in our discipleship as we seek to love our neighbor through our job. Mm. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think there's this idea too in our Western culture that like there's some magical job or magical person that if, and God wants you to have that one thing, that one person, and if you can't find it, that you're going to miss out in your life. It's sort of what you're saying with faithfulness is right now is sort of, you know, so sure, God wants us to pursue a certain way of life, but, but you're can be happy and fulfilled and pleasing to the Lord, taking a whole number of like, there's maybe six people that you could potentially marry and you just, God will get to the one at some point and you, you know, you just sort of take it in stride. And I think the same with jobs. And so, 
uh, it is, it's interesting. So to just go back for your story. So now you're bartending. So how do you figure out the next step, practically speaking? Yeah, for me, I, so I started bartending because um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew there were skills in the bartending um, like craft that I, I wanted to learn. And I, um, I had no idea what was next. And it kind of happened where a friend reached out to me uh, a, a while I was into bartending. And I was planning on doing that for several years. A friend reached out to me and said, hey, here's a, a gig that um, is coming up at Judson. I don't know if you'd be good for it. It sounds like it might be up your alley for your passions, but um, how about you apply? And so I never thought in a million years I would get this job. Um, I thought I was too green and um, inexperienced and just wouldn't be a good fit for, for what they, they wanted me for at Judson. Um, but my supervisor at the time, the, the woman who hired me, she she saw something in that the university needed and that I was able to fulfill. And that was something I, I, I wouldn't have done. All the while I was applying for jobs, I was checking things out. I was, I was uh, applying for youth pastor gigs and all those kinds of things. And so this one kind of fell into my lap, um, which was, which is pretty unique in that way. And so, um, I, I am incredibly blessed to have that have happened. Uh, and I, and I don't take it for granted at all that that was the, the way the Lord moved. But I also think God moves like you didn't like in that season of uncertainty, because I think how you handle that uncertainty is huge to the outcome. So did you get like, were you frustrated with the Lord? Did you seek his face daily and like expect that he's going to answer? Like walk through your own spiritual yeah. relationship as this was unfolding. Yeah. And, and, and this connects to, to what I was saying earlier about grieving what you've lost. So one of the things I, I did not do well was grieve what I lost. Um, I just kind of slipped into this kind of um, temporal depression. I, I make that distinction to distinguish from like clinical depression. Yeah. Um, and what I found is I was not grieving healthily. Uh, I was not doing a good job of grieving. Um, and so what I was doing was overindulging, whether it would be in um, uh, Netflix and just aimlessness and self-doubt, self-criticism, um, in comparing. I was comparing myself a lot to other people. Um, and, and what I've seen are a lot of students who, who graduate and, and, and they'll start drinking. Um, happily. And, and drinking is not a bad thing. I, mean, I was a bartender. But what I find is um, sometimes what I see, like as I scroll through Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat or something like that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm just noticing that, that you students feel empty sometimes and, and you're grieving and you don't have the language for it. And so sometimes alcohol can be the next thing for you. And so what we just don't is we don't grieve healthily. Um, and so even one of the things that I found that I was trying to do, but I, I did it with only varied success. And so it's not like a, this is a success failure thing, but like even establishing a rhythm is really helpful. Like you wake up, you work out, like like you establish healthy, disciplined routine for you um, so that the, the sadness and maybe rejections that you're getting from jobs or 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 uh, your resume just isn't getting through. Um, it's not it's not crippling you. The next thing is uh, what I found is I, I plugged into a community. Um, I joined a church in uh, my area, and I connected with the pastor. And I remember sitting down with the pastor and going, "Is can the Lord even like?" I remember going, is, "Can the Lord even use me? I've gotten so many no's from churches. Can the Lord like where is yeah. the Lord?" Um, and the pastor looked at me and said, "I think this is a time for you to heal." And I think this is a time where we can use you in the church in meaningful ways. And it might not, it probably won't be a job, but it'll probably be just joining a small group, joining a community group um, and coming to our local gatherings and being involved in the church for you to experience community outside of college. 
and then recognizing that my my time at, at in in college those weren't my glory years. Like I I think we we often idolize our past college time as like oh my gosh that was the height of our glory years and and so I I, I have to get back to that or look back at that fondly and it's all kind of downhill from here but. You, you don't really see stories in the Bible where they look back and say, those are the glory years. You see, like the Lord says, I have a purpose for you, for Israel, right? And in Jeremiah, I have a purpose for you to move forward and purpose for you to grow. And, and all things conclude in the new heavens, new earth. And so there's like good waiting for us uh, uh, next. And it might be good as far as a job next, or it might be good as far as life stage, or it might be resetting our expectations for ourselves for what is actually good. Because we spend so much time comparing ourselves to what we see on social media with our friends. Well, how have you managed that aspect of your life? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I even now, like you're still in ministry. I find that I, some of the stuff that you're saying isn't just for college students. Sure. I mean, I think I, I I hear so much of it, and it's just such wisdom in terms of how, like, people even in adult years who sort of find themselves in transition is kind of wondering what you were just talking about, like, is are the best years behind me? And what am I going to do the rest of my life? And, and the tendency with social media, again, is, is, um, in, in the Christian world, even more so, like you see all of these Christian people doing so much and I find it a battle. So how have you managed it? That yeah. might encourage us. For me, I'm a journaler. Like I, I journal, I have a, a daily journal app and I don't journal daily, but that's what it's called. Um, and so I, one of the things I like to do, and I do this at the end of every year is I, I look back, um, and try to just detail what are some of the things that happened. And so that comes to the second point of one of the, yeah. my advice from a college pastor is, um, recognize what you gained. And so taking time to grieve and then recognize what you gained as well. Like what was that season? What was that year? And I think if we don't take the time to recognize what that was, we're tempted to make those the glory years. And so for me, what one of the things I have to do pretty consistently in, in a season of wandering or um, after college or when I finish my graduate program or anything like that is looking back and going like, who, who was I four years ago? Who, who, who was I when I came into this university? Um, what, what was happening? What was happening in my life? What was I thinking? How was I being formed? All that stuff. And then who am I now? Like, what did I gain from that time? Um, what were the friendships that changed me? What, who were the significant friends and what, what did I get from that? And it's not all to be consumeristic, but how did those friendships change me um, as a person, as a follower of Jesus? What, what did they offer me as far as like really good foundational spiritual truths that are really significant? Um, and then what did I, what did I learn? Um, how was my mind sharpened? How did the Lord, um, form my character and then grow me in faithfulness? Those are some of the questions that I try to sift through. And there are, there are probably a whole bunch of other ones. Like, like how did I experience delight in the Lord in the last season? And what did that look like then? And what are some of the ways in which I can consistently put that into my life now? And maybe that's the daily devotions. Maybe that's going on like uh, uh, small retreats where you get away and, and, and you pray and you think and you have solitude, or maybe that's, if you, if you feel an intense loss of community, you go, I want to plan a really intentional time with friends where we ask each other thoughtful questions and we enjoy and we eat and we celebrate around a table the fact that the Lord does still move and the Lord does still care about us and he's walking with us through this season. One of the most significant books that I've read um, on grief is uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff's Lament for a Son. I don't know if you've if you've checked that out at all, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll put in the... Uh... 
uh, in our notes, you know, for people to look it up. Yeah. So lament for Islam. Yeah. T- talk a little bit about it. He, um, so Nicholas Wolterstorff is a philosopher, I believe at Calvin College. I, I wish I had that nailed down, but um, yeah. he, um, he experienced a devastating loss of his son. Uh, I believe his son died at around the age of 30 or 33 or something like that in, a, in like a, a strange climbing accident. And so mm. he has this book, which is, they're formed like journal entries. Um, and there's this concept, it's around page 90. For some reason, I have that in my mind that um, he says that Jesus, I wish people would stop asking me if I'm okay with my son's death. Like, are you over it now? Have you gotten past yeah. it? Or are you acceptable with it? Because he goes, no, 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 no. I will never be okay with my son's death. That is a violation and brokenness of shalom. I will never, ever be okay. But what I recognize is that Jesus joins me on the mourner's bench. And I love that phrase. I love that concept. And I use it all the time with with friends, students, um, even myself in Jesus joining us on the mourner's bench. I think that's one of the great hopes that we have. Like we have a living um, and active spirit that gives us a living and active Christ um, consistently. And so part of the, the reality of our grief and part of the reality of our loss of expectations, purpose, support, and community is that when we are sad, um, we can sit on the mourner's bench and Christ is right there with us. He's not telling us to buck up and move on. He's not telling us to um, get over it. He's not telling us like all the unhelpful things that we tell people. He's He just sits there with us. And oftentimes what we need is, man, Christ is just present. He's here. He sees me. He loves me. And he cares. And we can get into the questions of, okay, then why don't I have this? Like, okay, that's not the question. Christ sits at the mourner's bench. Oh, yeah. Like, how long do you expect the season to go? I mean, I know it varies from person to person, but like, what do you do when that season goes on for longer than you expect? Yeah, that's really hard. Um, I think you have to, you have to figure out, I think most foundational is, is re-engaging community. I think a lot of times what we do is we prioritize personal, individual, spiritual growth, which isn't a bad thing, but we say that's the first foundational thing. Um, And then community comes second. And what I would do is I would say, oftentimes I've been most ministered to by friends and family and my church community um, in community. And that reawakens a love and faith for the Lord in me. And they can walk alongside me in, in those seasons of intense grief. And that ends up being, it's like 1 Corinthians 12, where that is the body of Christ being the body of Christ. And so oftentimes what I would encourage students to do is like, no, 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 you have got to get connected to community. Um, you've got to be plugged in with it's whether it's the pastor or small group or something like that, because when you are faltering, um, there's a story in Mark where um, the friends and it's, it's a well-known story where um, there's the, the uh, I believe it's the paralyzed man and, and the friend grab the mat and they go to the roof and they dig a hole in the roof to get to Jesus and they and they lower the man in front of Jesus and then the and then Jesus says because of their faith um, I will heal you he he specifically says their faith he doesn't say the man's faith so there's something really interesting and I think um, theologically and spiritually profound about a community that even when we can't believe our community believes for us. And so it's not to remove personal, um, um, spiritual volition or anything like that, but there is something incredibly profound. It is hard to grasp in a, an individualistic achievement culture. It's hard for us to grasp, but there's something interesting there in the text where the friends took the initiative 
And then Jesus healed the man because of their initiative on their behalf. And so I think that there's this thing where our friends in our community can perhaps believe things for our life, for our next steps, for where the Lord is going to take us, for what the Lord is going to invite us into that maybe we can't see, but maybe they can, and they can help usher our grief along, not into a place of necessarily resolution, because that's not the goal, but being able to go, I see you in your grief. And I, and, and I want to speak love and truthfulness and gospel hope to you. And that isn't foreign. That's not like preaching negatively at a grief person. It's like, I, I have a community that loves me and cares about me and is willing to do the work to dig a hole in the roof and lower me before Jesus. Well, and I think the temptation is to say, I'm just transient. Like after college, you know, you're sort of in this mode, whether you move back to home or you're living with roommates and to sort of minimize you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, as you said, I'll do it later. But I think even if it's a short term involvement or the other side of it is, I think you feel, I still feel this awkwardness of getting into community. Hmm. But, it, you know, I, don't, I, I really, I haven't really been able to completely resolve that other than it is an intentional walking through the awkwardness until it stops being awkward. Right. I, I honestly, I don't think there's any magical formula. I mean, you could look at Enneagrams. You could look at personality types. Some people are going to have naturally an easier way to get into community. But right. for a lot of people and people who may be prone to kind of, you know, in, introspect everything and overthink everything, you're the person like me who would be like, man, I can't do it. It feels so awkward. But I don't know that there's another way to do it than to do it. Yeah, it's not got to face into the awkwardness of the whole thing. Like, yeah, it absolutely is awkward. So go in with realistic expectations that it is. And it's not... It's, and there's nothing bad about that. There's no, that doesn't mean the church is failing. It means that building significant relationships is always awkward at first. And, and I think there's also this, like, like there's a point where you can't also, because I really think this is at the heart of, of, of getting through the season. Like, there's no perfect church. And the idea of, like, you know, in the U.S., you almost have so many choices so that yeah. you could literally spend a year going to all different churches and, and be like, well, I'm trying to be in community. I'm not. Well, but you're not because you're constantly jumping around. So you never have time to get traction in a body, a small group of people that would be like, hey, we're praying for you. We know you where you're at and we're here. And then maybe somebody would be like, hey, I heard of a, about a job down there that would be such a good fit for you. I find people are better at seeing my gifts in me than I am at right when they get in that zone that you're describing, mm. it's so easy to be so negative about yourself. Mm. Like, oh, I'm not good at anything. Does God have anything in store for me? Sort of this whole, like, nothing's going to amount in my life. I might as well just work at Starbucks the rest of my life, et cetera. And, and I think sometimes people can speak the truth over you better than you can see yourself when you're in that funk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the body of Christ living as the body of Christ because the the, the church, your small group, your friends. And so, I mean, so a couple of the things that I know that I, I advise college students to do is like, first, like maybe it's just significant to set up calls with your friends. Um, maybe it's significant to like reconnect with them so that you're not just completely disconnected from everything. The next thing is to get plugged into a church. And, and what I mean by that is, is some of what you're getting at. Um, it's not connect, it's not committing for the rest of your life to one place because there is an element of transience to it, but it's not insignificant. And, and, and that is good effort and good work on, on your part to get plugged into a church because, um, because that community matters. That community matters. And that community, like you said, can call out things in you, even if they don't know you as well. And so the temptation is I was known so well while I was in college by my friends immediately around me. And I'm going to go to this place and not be known. They're not going to understand me. And, and, and my advice is like, give them a chance. Give them a chance. Give the Lord a chance to be able to work and move in your life through a different kind of community. It doesn't have to be the same one. It's not going to be the same one. 
but it's a it's a different kind of community. So you your advice, grieve what you've lost, recognize what you've gained. What was the third thing on your list? The third one is um, walk in faithfulness. So I think I and and uh, I see a contrast between walking in faithfulness and walking in anxiety and fear. And and by anxiety, I mean more worry. So walking in faithfulness versus walking in worry and fear. Because I know, Ben, six months after you graduate, student loans hit. Um, you have bills. You have you have like real needs that need to be met. And and those are real, and that's not that's not uh, that's something we we can be consistently we can be thinking about, but it doesn't have to drive all of our decisions. And so um, sometimes what what I what I even just say is like the next best step is your next best step. So maybe that is bartending, maybe that is working at Starbucks and giving yourself a season to like decompress from college to kind of reset your mind to think about where do I really want to go for my next step. And then recognizing that your next step isn't your forever next step. Um, we have a lot of fear. And I think the way that we talk a lot about career and those kinds of things reinforces this negatively. We have a fear that um, the, the next thing that we do will be that forever thing. And we'll be missing out on major, major things the Lord has for us or the marketplace has for us. If we aren't incredibly wise with every single decision that we always make and that if we don't want to be a Starbucks barista forever, then we shouldn't do it at all now. And I'm going, no, pay your bills, work well, do landscaping, whatever you need to do in order to establish yourself and, and kind of get yourself some mental and spiritual clarity for what might be next. So as you join a community, as you do those things, that that work is not in vain. And even, and even I'd point to that work being really purposeful because you can reconnect with what it means to love your neighbor. I know for me, for bartending, one of the reasons I really wanted to bartend specifically was because I wanted to meet people. I wanted to connect with them. And I was, and I was thinking, look, if I want to be a pastor long term, I, I need to sit with people where they're at. And so I, I wanted to um, learn about what made other people tick. I, I spent four years in Bible college, like isolated from a lot of the non-Christian world. So how do I connect with potential non-Christians? And we had Christians and non-Christians come to the bar. And so how do I connect with people? What do I, what are the things that are driving them? So I tried to redeem that time with what does this mean for me? Like what skills am I picking up here? What am I learning? And, and you can never go wrong with meeting with and connecting with people. Um, and so, so, so even walking in faithfulness, um, we have the ability to have fear drive our motivations and drive our decision making, but I don't think that's from the Lord. Um, I think mm. wisdom, um, based on what you see coming and, and making intentional decisions. I'm like, okay, in six months, I, I know that I'm going to have to start making student loan payments. Um, I think that, uh, getting a job and, and making it so that you have money to be able to pay those payments. That's, that's wisdom. Um, um, that's not necessarily walking in fear. Walking in fear is when we allow outside circumstances to dictate all of our decisions. Um, so it doesn't matter where the Lord's calling us. It doesn't matter what steps of faith we need to take because fear is at the driver's is in the driver's seat. And that can be so crippling. Um, that can just exasperate some of the grief and sadness that we feel because all of a sudden parents of friends, all those things are asking us, what's next for you? What's next for you? What's next for you? And, and those are not bad questions, but that can get in our heads sometimes and force us into, oh my gosh, if I don't have this whole thing figured out next right now, um, I am well, screwed. And furthermore, it can drive you into settling for a job that you hate because you want to get people off your back. And 20 years later, you're having a midlife crisis because you've just 
realize you didn't even want to do the thing that you're doing because you just were doing it because people were pushing you to do it. Right. You said or just say, right. Yeah. It's a horrible thing. So, I mean, it's almost better. What, what do you think of gap years? I mean, taking a year to just go float around the world, you know, I had, like the I, I had friends of mine do that after college and a lot of them loved it. I mean, sometimes if you have the means to be able to do it, like that could be a really cool next step. Um, I kind of saw my bartending as a gap year. Um, right, I know right. some friends of mine went and, and traveled around. They did all their things. They did backpacking or, or whatnot. And that can be really meaningful. And a lot of people find that to be really meaningful, but it's not for everyone. Like for me, I know that wouldn't have worked for me. I, I knew I wanted to work. I knew I wanted to like learn. I wanted to um, go into a different space and learn what that space had. Um, so I'm not opposed to gap years at all. And, I, and I've seen it be really meaningful for some people, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find your passion. Yeah. The gap well, yeah. Usually, just postponing your your search in a sense. Right. You might come upon it, but like the odds are, you're just like putting it off for a while. Um, what do you think is the life that pleases God? I mean, in the context of faithfulness, and I mean, what makes God pleased with a person's life? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think you have. So when people graduate, oftentimes what they believe, whether it's something that they would articulate or it's a spiritual loss that they sense that they have difficulty, is that God's abandoned them. Um, God's yeah. gone. He has like forever fled the scene that he has a lot of, like, I know for me, that's one of the things I struggle with the most. When I, when I feel a season of like wandering or uncertainty, the first thing I default to is this misunderstanding of who God is. Namely, um, I think that God has time and intentionality for everyone around me but he has no time or intentionality for me. I told you guys he's a male version of me. Oh my gosh. That's exactly how I Have think. you said that before? Have you said that before? I feel it so much in my life and it's wrong and I know it, but how do you, like, you have to think right. Philippians 4, 8 has been so crucial to me lately uh, to rewire the way that I think about God. Yeah. And so in, so our American system passed uh, post the enlightenment, right? We, we form our attitudes and our beliefs based on what we uh, uh, can see, what we can uh, like. So everything is, is, is available to us through our senses, and that forms our reality. One of the things that scripture does is it says, actually, um, you can trust your senses because it is God-given, but you can't trust it for everything all the time everywhere. So God might actually be active when you can't see him active. Uh, and God might actually be changing you and molding you and shaping you in ways that you don't necessarily recognize. And so that's why going to scripture is so important because it helps to re, re, uh, reform our mind. It renews our mind in the language of scripture, it renews our mind, but it helps us to reform. Okay. Um, like, so for example, I know some of the passages that I just scribbled down because they were helpful for me, like Psalm 67, Psalm 127. For me, I love Ephesians 1 looking at, okay, the Lord has got me. He, he seated me in the heavenly places with Christ. Um, I, I am there with him. I, I can recognize my union and my intimate connection with the Lord. Um, I know Colossians 3 is really helpful. Like basically all of Romans 8 is really helpful. What does that do? So, so even why do I go there? Um, I go there because I need to be reminded of these truths that I forget um, all the time. And so it's not a magical pill. Like reading scripture is never a magical pill that all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I'm better. This is incredible. And oftentimes it's Jesus joining us on the mourner's bench to return back to that metaphor. Jesus joins us on the mourner's bench. And one of the ways in which we see him speak to us is through community. It's also through scripture. 
all the time. And he promises to speak to us through scripture. And so when we open the scriptures, we can be reminded of the fact of like, man, the, the Lord might actually have a plan and he might actually have something for me and he hasn't forgotten about me. And so for me, the belief that like the Lord forgets about me, he has time for everybody else and not me. Romans 8 corrects that. And so it doesn't fix it for me immediately, but every day, if I just meditate on that chapter during this season, every day, I just go like, man, I need, I just need to be reminded of that. Like, that's good. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't remove the feelings of fear, but it gives me something else so that when fear creeps up in my heart, when worry creeps up in my heart and threatens to dominate my entire day or derail my entire day, um, these passages have the ability to go, no, this is, this is the truth. This is the truth. So you can correct these things. You can adjust your perspective and adjust your expectations based on what scripture tells us. And I believe that when we read scripture, two things happen. One, the spirit illuminates scripture for us. And so we we have the text revealed to us in, in new ways that perhaps we didn't uh, recognize. And the second thing, I believe the spirit mediates Christ to us. What I mean is that the spirit shows us who Jesus is in the midst of the scriptures. So we can have new understandings, new revelations, not revelations in the theological sense of like you're writing a new book of the Bible, but um, but you can have a new understanding of what it means for Jesus to be present. So I get a new perspective on, on from each one of these texts that um, I perhaps didn't have before. So like Psalm, um, I think it's 127, talking about the, the Lord building the house. Um, and and if, if the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders, when they build it, they build in vain. And, and for me, what does that mean for me? Um, very, very tangibly, I have the ability to send out my resume to a thousand people all the time and I can get a thousand no's, mm-hmm. but is the Lord building the house? So even if I'm getting no's, even if I'm trying to lay the foundation and it's not working, um, I can do the best job and like force a fit and perhaps go into an area that I don't either feel passionate about or care about, or maybe it's just wrong to go into that area. Uh, but I need the money. So I need to do that. But the, the reminder that the Lord, he actually builds the house. Like that's one of the, the, the background truths of that text is the Lord actually builds things. The Lord actually is there. He's present to build the house and I don't have to force something. I don't have to, um, um, go out and force the Lord's hand. He's actually already there building it. Right. What was your fourth uh, piece of advice, Chris, as we uh, come here towards, which I think we've sort of hit upon, but still grieve what you've lost, recognize what you've gained, walk in faithfulness. And then fourthly. Yeah. The fourth is just quite simply gospel hope. Um, the Lord has not forgotten about you. So like, so I was speaking directly. So if you're listening to this podcast um, and you're, and you're sitting in this season of grief and um, you're not sure what's next, uh, what I want to make sure that I speak to you is um, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve healthily. It's okay to feel the feelings of like yearning, disorganization, and despair. It's okay to feel those things. The Lord has not forgotten about you. And you feeling those feelings does not mean that you are somehow exempt from hearing that the Lord has not forgotten about you. So I'll put it positively. The Lord sees you. The Lord cares about you. And he cares about your next steps. Um, I don't believe that the next steps mean you are either uh, going to succeed or fail in all of your things. Your next step is your next step. And you can move where the Lord um, gives you an open door or where he is uh, inviting you into some element of faith or faithfulness. But the Lord sees you. And in Jesus, what we see time and time again 
is Jesus reminds us. Like I, I, I'm just what's coming to my mind right now is um, the scene in Exodus where Moses, um, where where Moses is facing the Red Sea and he hears the Lord and the Lord speaks, um, "Be still, you have only to be silent." And then it goes on to say, "The Lord will work this day." And so we, the Lord is present to us. And I think that's the greatest gospel hope that we have, that we don't have to go searching for the Lord and all of these things. Like he speaks, he's present, he loves, he cares, he gives us community, he gives us the scriptures, he gives us podcasts, he gives us ways to remind us about his nature and character, his love and affection and his eternal delight that he sings over us. The Old Testament says, I wish I could remember the exact reference, but that he sings, I think it's Zephaniah, that that the Lord sings songs over you. That's our... That's Man, you're good. Uh, what do you tell the person who's listening, who's still maybe finished college, Christian or non-Christian college, and uh, maybe grew up in a Christian home, but still has not embraced Christ for themselves? Yeah, I. We have a lot. We have a lot of those students that who come to Judson, and uh, my heart yearns for them to know the love and affection of the Lord. I think society will drive us into an achievement-based culture where our value is derived solely based on our pedigree or our um, the, the killer job we land after college. And the gospel reminds us that the Lord um, protects us. He cares for us. He loves us. And you'll see that's the theme as I, as I mention, as I talk about these things, that he cares. He's actually present. So for someone who's not a Christian, um, I would say, I think you're missing out on a lot of the joy and delight that the Lord can offer you. And it's not just a psychological thing. I think that the Lord um, is present. And so not only does he offer a, a plan and 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 in life uh, eternally, but he offers us the inbreaking of the kingdom, the ability to participate in the new heavens, new earth as they're being ushered on to um, the earth now. And so the Lord invites us into community. He invites us into knowing and loving him and then learning what it means to be loved and be known by him. So for someone who's not a Christian who's listening to this, um, I would implore you to seriously consider what does it mean um, to have joy in the Lord? Like, is that possible? Because what the society is going to disciple you into is that you need to derive all of your joy, all of your love, all of your affection. Um, you need to derive all of your self-worth from either who you're going to marry or from your job that you're going to have, or from whatever accomplishments you do on the side. And those things, um, the weight of that, uh, they can't sit under the weight. They can't sit under the weight. And they make, in, in the way that Matt Chandler says it, he says, those make terrible gods. They just mm-hmm. do. And so the Lord has a much more freeing uh, uh, path and way to love you into flourishing that society and culture and um, even what you think you need to do in order to be happy, um, that'll ultimately fail. And the Lord will always be present. Amen. That's uh, you are um, a wise young man, Chris. I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, conversation. I have a whole list of things I'm going to bring you back for, because I don't think it would have been even remotely possible to discuss this topic and hit up some of the other stuff I want to talk about with you on, on, the church in the United States, evangelicalism, social justice, all of this stuff that we're talking about in social media right now, uh, misogyny, chauvinism in the church, and on and on and on. Yeah. So we're going to have another conversation. I mean, let's I think talk about Gen Z, millennials, all the issues and all the hope and all that right. stuff. Right? I love it. Right here 
on the whole podcast. But for now, this really was aimed uh, for a conversation for those who are sort of in transition in life. And I, if you're not graduating, I know that you gained from this conversation. I myself have made some notes. I've already downloaded the book you mentioned and just am inspired by the maturity of your faith, Chris. Thank, Thank you very you. much. I'm thrilled to be on here. Um, I love what you do. I love that you have a, a awesome listeners who are connecting with everything that you're saying. So that's fantastic. It's a privilege and an honor to be here. Well, we want to wish you the best in your new married life and uh, your career and profession and calling and all of this stuff. In the meantime, guys, if you're still on here, um, shoot me an email and tell me how your summer's going, what you want uh, to hear about on this podcast. Or if you're just looking for resources, we've got so much for you for free. Short stuff, long stuff, free stuff. Did I say free? Anyway, go to livingwithpower.org, email me through the contact page or lena at livingwithpower and um, download the app. You'll love it. And in the meantime, have an awesome week. Remember to fix your eyes on Jesus. Bye.